Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. So today we are going to be reading from Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 28. It says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know, you, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Thanks, Eliana. This is your first time with us. Uh, We just started a series on the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, You know, this last uh, week, my wife was out of town for a couple days with my daughter, visiting her um, parents up in Bellingham, and so I I had, uh, we had boys time in my house with my three sons, uh, which meant eating not good food, and uh, and we watched a movie that I I realized my boys hadn't seen. Um, We watched, we had watched every Star Wars movie except for one, and it was the, the story, the kind of the origin story of Darth Vader. So episode three, if you're familiar with that one, Anakin Skywalker, it's when he turns evil. And you see why he, how he gets the, the helmet and the cape and everything that makes Darth Vader so intimidating. And, and I realized that well, my kids have grown up in a different kind of framework for understanding the whole narrative of Star Wars. I grew up watching episodes four, which started with Darth Vader kind of at his prime evilness and five and six, and since then now, I don't even know how many Star Wars movies there are. Uh, the, the, I was, it got me thinking just kind of about origin stories in general. So uh, many of you know each other, some of you know each other for a long time, but you, in, in your relationship with each other, you came in at a certain point in time where you knew each other. Some of you have known each other since uh, you had kids here in the church. Some of you just got to know each other in the last few months. You don't know, we don't know, all of the origin story of each other, right? And what we're doing as we look at the gospel of Mark is we're attempting to kind of be reminded of the origin story of our faith. Christianity didn't just happen, right? Jesus isn't here right now. And so as we get back into the gospel of Mark, we're being reminded of what Jesus did and what it means to follow him. Like how did those first disciples follow Jesus? What did they observe about him and his character and his nature? And I think this is so important because especially if you grew up in the church, it's easy to assume things or take things for granted about our faith. It's it's easy to, to view Jesus really in an incomplete way. 
Because the expressions of Jesus we often see the most are right here, right now. So it's so important that we go back to the origin story of our faith. Some of you know this, some of you don't, but followers of Jesus weren't called Christians right away. Followers of Jesus identified themselves in two ways. One, as disciples, because that's what Jesus called them. And number two, later on as Jesus left, many of the early followers of Jesus called themselves followers of the way. Do you know why that might be? Think of John chapter 14 where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so this is how followers of Jesus first identified themselves. It wasn't till later that the term Christian was coined. And guess who came up with that term? It wasn't followers of Jesus. It was the culture. It was the people around these followers of Jesus that looked at them and almost in a derogatory kind of way said they were Christian. In other words, they were like little Christs. <laughs> but in a good way, right? Because that obviously meant they looked like him. They were doing the things that Jesus did. And so as we get back into the origin story of our faith, one of the things we want to be reminded of is that our faith is not about us. It is about Jesus. And if it's about Jesus, how does Jesus' ways cause us to live out our faith as disciples today? A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the call to discipleship. Um, Bob um, shared one verse from Luke, and I shared another verse from Luke, where Jesus calls his followers to consider the cost, to consider what it really means to follow him. If you've been following Jesus for a while, you know that discipleship is a process. Discipleship is the process of knowing, following, and imitating Jesus. Knowing, following, and imitating Jesus. Discipleship happens as we get to know Jesus through his word and apply that knowledge by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the world around us probably doesn't use that term, discipleship. So another phrase we could use that might resonate more is the idea of apprenticeship. That we know, that we follow, that we imitate the ways of Jesus like we are his apprentices. When you think of your own spiritual life, when I think of my own spiritual life, it never looks like I'm going straight up, right? My spiritual life typically looks a lot like the stock market. Up and down, up and down, up and down. Sometimes the down is longer than the up. Sometimes I'm feeling it. I'm like, yes, I feel close to God. And I feel like I'm, I'm growing in my faith and my understanding of him. I feel like I've, I've learned a lot and that the Holy Spirit's working through me. Man, isn't it like this so much? But what we desire and what the Lord promises us is as we continue in our following of Jesus, it, in the end, it's trending what? Up. Little by little. Sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back. Sometimes it's one step forward and two steps back. But over the course of our lives, as we say yes to Jesus, by the power of His Holy Spirit, our spiritual growth continues to trend up. Some of you right now are going, uh, nope, not me. You don't know me. But here's the thing. When we're in a moment where we're dry, where we feel disconnected, it feels like we've sunk all the way to the bottom. But the big picture, you have to sometimes get back to your origin story. God is still doing a work in you. So I don't know where each of you are at this morning. I don't know um, 
if your spiritual growth recently has crashed hard and is in a recession, but I want you to know that today, today, this moment is a new day. This is a new opportunity. And so as Eliana just read for us how Jesus called his first disciples, my prayer this morning, if you walk away with nothing else, is that you would be reminded of Jesus' love to you and his call to you. And if you haven't heard that call, man, I hope today is the day that you finally hear that. So I'm going to pray to that end this morning. Father, we ask this morning would not just be a regular thing, not just be a routine where we're like, okay, a church in the morning, football and baseball in the afternoon, get ready for Monday in the evening. We just not go through the motions this morning. Lord, as you called the first disciples, they were just doing their thing. They were just about their business, and yet you spoke to them in a way that changed their lives forever. I pray that today would be that day, that we would experience your call anew. Your power and your presence would be here with your people. So would your voice ring out true this morning above all else we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So in what Eliana just read, in this first call the very first disciples, we see two sets of brothers, both with the same occupation. Both what? Fishermen, right. The first two that are called are Simon, who would later be called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And Jesus sees them fishing, and he uses their occupation to get them to think about what it would be like to follow him. What does he say? Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Right? So Jesus uses their occupation to get them to consider what it might look like to follow Jesus. And, and God often does the same things for us. God will often link your experiences and your background to his purposes. So if you've ever believed the lie that, like, you, you don't know enough, you're not good enough, you're not mature enough, you're not experienced enough to really follow Jesus. That's a lie. I remember having a discussion with a, a high schooler years ago when I was a youth pastor. He was 14 years old. We were sitting in my office, and I said, hey, how close do you feel to God? And we had two items on, on my desk. And I said, if this is God and this is you, show me how close you feel to him. And he took the God item, and he took the one that represented him, and he just moved him just about this close. And here's what he told me. He said, I mean, I'm 14. How close can I really be to God? And I said, who told you that? Who told you that you had to be a certain age or have a certain knowledge to have a, a close relationship with God, to be used of him, to, to know his purposes for your life? Who told you that lie? It wasn't God. And when we look at the, the first disciples, I'm gonna, we can assume that they weren't 20, 30, 40 years old. They weren't old dudes with beards. They were most likely teenagers. Now, probably later teenagers, but they weren't old guys. And Jesus saw them, even in their limited experiences and their backgrounds, and he said, I have a plan for you. I'm going to use who God has created you to be and what you've already experienced for my purposes. So then we see the second encounter just right after that again fishermen James and John these guys uh, Jesus would call them sons of thunder later on they had some excitement some passion some enthusiasm sometimes misguided but that's okay God would use them 
We see from them, their families probably got a little bit more money than Simon and Andrew's family. Why do we think that? Well, they have hired hands that are helping fish. We see that when James and John respond to following Jesus, they not only left their occupation, but they also left their dad, which was a very big deal in Jewish culture. But honestly, it would be a big deal today if you were working for your parents in the family business, and then you told them, you know what, I feel like I'm, God's calling me to do something else. That would be tough, right? And so Jesus, following Jesus always starts like this always starts like this. It starts with an invitation. Starts with an invitation. But where and how that invitation is going to happen is going to be unique to you. Some of you, your invitation to follow Christ started because your parents introduced you to Jesus. They taught you from a very young age. Some of you, it started in different scenarios where maybe you met somebody on the street or you had a coworker or a friend, but somebody introduced you to Jesus. Sometimes uh, the, introduction, the introduction to Jesus starts in supernatural ways. I told you all a story a, a few months ago about a woman here in the Seattle area who literally had a dream about Jesus. She woke up the next morning. She says, I need to find my friends, the only friends I know that know Jesus because I need to know more about how to follow him. So for each of us, it may look differently, but it always starts the same way. Jesus calls, we respond. One of the key questions that this part of the story brings up for me, I don't know about you, but if you were to read it again, you would notice that it seems pretty sudden. Jesus just walks by and says, follow me, and they do? <laughs> now, we look at the other Gospels, and we can see that maybe there were some other things happening, but just looking at Mark, Mark's Gospel, we don't see any previous interactions between Jesus and these guys. So what did the disciples know, or what did they feel, or what did they experience when they heard this call? The only thing that we might be able to assume from this account is that they had most likely heard Jesus preaching already. So if you look at verse 14 and 15 in Mark's gospel, it said Jesus had been preaching around the Sea of Galilee, which is exactly where these guys were fishing. So we can at least assume they heard secondhand, but probably firsthand, this message that Jesus was preaching. And it probably stirred something up in them. It probably piqued their interests. Maybe they even thought, man, it would be cool to hear more from this guy. We don't know for sure, but whatever it was, when Jesus called, they responded. So they knew something, but they didn't know much. Think about that in your life. How many, how many things do you trust? And you don't really know all about them, but you put your trust in them anyway because you know enough. The very first time you got on an airplane, right? Never been on an airplane before, but you probably knew people that had and they're still alive. You've probably seen airplanes work in, on TV or seen them fly over your house. You knew enough about how they worked, but you didn't know at all. Think about... Uh, I, I was thinking about this recently. Right now in our culture, there's this alt currency, alternative currency that's being really popular. It's called Bitcoin. Most folks have no idea what this thing is, but it's worth something. They know kind of how it works. And so people are now investing in Bitcoin. They don't know it all, but they know enough. They know enough to invest in it. So the first disciples, they knew something. Peter, 
and Andrew and James and John, but they didn't know everything. They, they probably didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. They, they probably didn't know that he was God in the flesh right there in front of them. They probably hadn't seen him do anything miraculous yet at this point. But what they had heard about the kingdom of God sparked something, stirred something up in them. We need to take a moment just now right where you're sitting and, and remember a moment or moments in your life when you realized there was something more. There had to be something more to this life. Or maybe you realize there's something missing in your life. There's some kind of longing, some kind of desire you had that you couldn't quite explain. You knew there was something more. Maybe it was an answer to a question that you didn't have yet. The question about your existence or your purpose or your identity. Maybe it was, maybe what you felt in that moment as you were thinking about this is that you just felt slightly out of place in the world. Like you didn't quite belong. Or maybe you felt these things later in life when all the things that you thought would be the thing, you know, that thing that brings you peace. Well, you found out those things were incomplete. That elusive salary that you always thought, if I get there, it'll make me happy, or those things. Wow, they didn't quite do it. So this is where the news of the kingdom comes in. When Jesus begins to preach that the kingdom of heaven is coming near, it resonated with folks. They went, oh, maybe this is the thing, the thing that I, that I need, the thing that will point me to purpose and existence and give me peace, that there is a God, that he is real and that he cares and he's personal. I'm not an accident. I'm not stardust that just somehow formed into a being. Maybe this is the thing. And so as Jesus began to preach of this coming kingdom, this is what it stirred in folks, in all types of folks. So for these fishermen, this news of the kingdom resonated with them in such a way that when Jesus said, come on, they jumped at the chance. This is it. They didn't know much, but they knew something. They knew enough to believe, to follow, to trust. When we think about our faith, every new direction in our life starts with a first step. And for each of us, our faith was sparked in the same way that these disciples' faith was sparked. Somehow you heard, then you believed, then you took an action. That's the beginning of discipleship. Romans 10, 17 says this, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So we all have to hear it first. That's the origin of our faith. Whether you, you had a dream or somebody told you about it, you heard something. And so as the story unfolds, the first decision to follow Jesus changes everything for Simon Andrew, James, and John. They were the first, but billions of other folks over the last 2,000 plus years have heard. They have believed, and they have acted on their faith. So this is the origin of discipleship, and what happens next in the story is we begin to see a confirmation of this message that Jesus is preaching. 
And we begin to see it revealed for exactly what kind of kingdom Jesus is talking about. What kind of kingdom is really coming and the power and the authority that are a part of Jesus' message and the one that they're following. So let's set the context a little bit because we weren't there. We don't understand the culture. Look, here's the context. The Jewish people have been waiting for a Messiah, somebody to come and save them. They had in mind a warrior king like King David. Hundreds and hundreds of prophecies, thousands of years they've been waiting for this. So their picture of a Messiah was a king that would rise up, that would free them, that would restore their rights and privileges in their own nation. And this is exactly what Jesus would do. He would restore their rights and privileges, but he would do it differently than they would think. What the disciples of Jesus would find out was that the kingdom of God works from the inside out, from the bottom to the top, from the unseen to the seen. This is how any transformation happens. We can write laws, we can have new government in place, but people don't change unless they change from the inside out. You know those moments uh, that you've had in life where you looked at something in creation and you just said, wow, maybe you were at the top of Mount Rainier, maybe you were at the ocean. You just said, wow, look at that. Or when you see a beautiful piece of art and it just makes everything around you pause for that moment and all you can see is that or maybe that song that just fills you from the inside out I mean you get that feeling right like that tingly feeling that emotional feeling when that song just resonates within you all of these things are signs of something that are as real as the seat that you're sitting on this morning They are signs of a spiritual reality to this physical world. The spiritual world is connected to the physical world, and we are as much spiritual beings as we are physical. In fact, much of the sickness and the brokenness of the world is the result of our spiritual condition. So many are lost and broken and disconnected from the one who made them. And from the inside out, that's manifested. So this kingdom that's coming, this Jesus that the disciples are following, they are deeply spiritual things. The promise of the spirit that we see made in the Old Testament, the presence of the spirit that is in Jesus at his baptism, something is stirring and Jesus is about to reveal it to the world from the unseen to the seen, from the inside out. So one day, as Eliana earlier read, Jesus is continuing to teach. But this time, instead of being outside around the sea in Galilee, he's preaching in church. Well, okay, not church, but he's preaching in a synagogue, which is very similar to a church. And here is where we see one of the very first spiritual acts of the kingship of Jesus. We'll read this together again. They, being Jesus and his disciples, went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Ooh, something's being said, huh? 
Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So I love this line. We'll go back to this line. The people were amazed at his teaching because he had taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So right there, we see something's different about this guy. Something is resonating like a beautiful piece of art, like, like a observing nature. Something is stirring within the folks that are hearing the words of Jesus, and they know he's different. And this first statement was made before any sort of supernatural thing happened. No demon had been cast out yet. Nobody had been healed yet. It was by his very words. But then they say it again. When do they say it again? They say it after he deals with the demonic spirit. So he gives a demonstration of his spiritual authority first. Already a sign that this is going to be a different kingdom. This is a different king. Because Jesus, he, he wasn't a clever marketer. He wasn't a revolutionary gathering an army. If he was, he wouldn't have started with fishermen. He is the living word of God. By him, everything was made that has been made. And now he's right here, right in front of folks, teaching in the synagogue. And his authority is already starting to change things. Now, we had read last week, Jesus has already had one spiritual confrontation with Satan. And here in the synagogue, we see further evidence of Jesus and this coming kingdom, how they're different than any other kingdom in history. Because this kingdom is powerfully spiritual in nature. If you're taking notes, this is something to take a note on. Jesus' kingdom is powerfully spiritual in nature. It actually is that first before anything else. From the moment heaven opened up at Jesus' baptism, it set into motion a conflict that was going to begin to expose the darkness of the world. He's going to expose it for what it was. This conflict is going to be between the kingdom of God and the one who works and inspires evil in the world, Satan and his demonic forces. So here is Jesus, his first act in demonstrating his authority through his teaching, but also in his confrontation with evil spirits. Where was this guy who was possessed by a demonic spirit hanging out? In the church, in the synagogue. I don't think that's by accident. We're going to see Jesus deal with some spirits outside the church as well. But where does he start? He starts with the demonstration of his authority in the house of God, surrounded by the people of God. So this is intentional. This is on purpose. You know, uh, years ago, uh, uh, a church that I was on staff with as an associate pastor 
we're getting ready to, to take a, a team of 15 people to the country of Thailand, where we were going to be serving local churches in North Thailand. And we were talking about um, the different beliefs in Thailand, uh, pri- primarily Buddhism, and how it's a spiritual stronghold in that country. And that the way that you worship in Buddhism is very demonic. You're essentially worshiping evil spirits. And as we were talking about it, one member of our church, an older guy, he said, you know, I have never experienced anything in my life that I would consider to be demonic. And as we began to talk, essentially he was saying, is like, I've read these things, but are they real? Because <laughs> I've never experienced them. It was a setup. <laughs> because just a few weeks later, we were in, guess where? A church in Thailand. And as we were worshiping in church, there was a woman standing in the front row of the church, and she began to move very oddly. She began to speak very weirdly, and eventually she fell over in front of the church and began to writhe almost like some sort of snake. Uh, Several of us gathered around her and and began to pray for her and ask her if she was okay. People at first thought it was some sort of medical emergency, and it wasn't. What we realized is she had a demonic spirit in her. She began to tell us a story about how just two days before she had gone to the Buddhist temple. Number one, she'd never been to church before. This is her first time. Two days before, she had gone to a Buddhist temple, and she says, as I finished my worship in the Buddhist temple and I was preparing to leave, I felt a spirit come into me and come home with me. So here's this guy (laughs) in our church who said, I've never even seen a hint or experienced these things, and he's right there experiencing it close up. For the very first time in his Christian walk, he realized there is a spiritual reality. He'd always assented to it kind of intellectually, like, yeah, Jesus comes and lives in my heart, and the Holy Spirit's there, but it was always this impersonal kind of force, not a presence, not a power. And in that moment, he realized, oh, this is for real. So there's these two extremes I've seen in the church when it comes to addressing uh, the demonic influence in the world. There's one extreme, which is we don't acknowledge it at all. And the other is we give, it, we give Satan and the demonic forces too much credit. I think many American churches probably lean, unless you grew up in a Pentecostal church like I did, you probably lean more on the not enough, that we don't acknowledge the spiritual reality of the world around us. There was a, a French author that said this. You've probably heard it before. It says, the greatest trick the devil, devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. If, you're, uh, if you watch the movie The Usual Suspects, this is also quoted in that. And this almost is cliche now. You've probably, many of you have probably heard it before. But I think there's a truth to it. Later on, Paul says to the church, he says, remember, your battle is not against flesh and blood, not against the the people that you see. It is against the powers and the principalities of this world, the unseen forces. So Jesus demonstrates right from the get that his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, and he has come to wage war against the evil and demonic forces, and this is good news. Time is ticking for the enemy. Let's look at two more brief scenes 
And remember that the main point of these is that we see the authority of Jesus over both the spiritual and the physical world. Right after this interaction, it says, as soon as they left the synagogue, this interaction with the demonic spirit, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. What did he say? Nothing. He literally just touched her, and she was healed. And we'll see this demonstration of Jesus' power of the physical world, that he cares about the physical. He cares about health. He cares about injustice. He cares about us, the tangible expressions of our physical life. And he has power over them. Then we move to one more event that happens right after this. That evening, after sunset, the word is spread. (laughs) People brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And what did Jesus do? He healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Uh, Maybe you've read this before and you've been like, what's up with that? Why wouldn't he let them speak? Why was he trying to be chill about this? What was he afraid that they were going to say even? And we saw this in the synagogue too. He said silence to the demonic spirit. We don't know exactly, but we can assume maybe a couple of things. One is, Jesus is just getting started. He wants to control the narrative. He wants to be the one that makes the announcements, that declares who he is to people. He doesn't want demonic forces to have that opportunity. But they know. They know. The other one is, I think, connected to this, is Jesus wants them, wants the world to have a proper understanding of the Savior, to know that he is who he says he is. Later on, we'll see that he has a conflict with religious leaders who actually claim him to be on the side of the demonic. And so I think that may also tie into this. But that's not the point of this story. The the focus isn't to to create a demonology, a theology of demonology, or um, to focus on evil spirits. The point of this story is to realize the reality of them, but that God has power over them. And so as followers of Jesus, when we say yes to Jesus, we have that same power living within us. Later in John, 1 John chapter 4, 4, he's reflecting on the reality of the spiritual world. And John, the, writing to the church, says, Greater is he, that is Jesus, who is in you than he, that is Satan, who is in the world. So if you are in Jesus, you have nothing to be afraid of. Those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus have the Spirit of God on our side. So as we look at this, we look at this origin story, what are the things we need to be reminded of today as his followers, as his apprentices, as his disciples? The first thing I think we need to be reminded of is that when Jesus calls you, he calls you. He Calls not an idea of you, not a cardboard cutout of you, not who he hopes you'll be someday, but he calls you with all your past experiences, with all your passions, your unique gifts, and even in your brokenness, Jesus calls you. And then he says to you, if you follow me, you will be supernaturally empowered to use all that you are 
to change lives, to be a part of the mission of God. Do you believe that? Jesus has these interactions with people continually, whether they are the worst sinner in culture and society, where they've given, been given over to the, the most evil and vile things, or whether they think they're a saint. Jesus calls them all alike, and he says, I see you, I love you, and I have a purpose for your life. You, not an image of you, not a cardboard cut out of you, but you. Do you believe that? That in your current state, Jesus sees you and loves you and wants you to follow him on mission. Simon and Andrew, James and John, they believed it. They didn't know much, but they knew enough, and they said, I'm in. Fishers of men sounds good. Let's go. The number two thing that I think we need to be reminded of as we look at this origin story is Jesus' call of discipleship is not the group text invitation of a friend, but it's the summons of a king. Some of you are looking at me blankly because you're like, what's a group text? Sorry. (laughs) Cultural. It's not a chain letter. These people still write those. What I mean is Jesus wasn't somebody walking on the street saying, hey, if you feel like it, come through tonight. We're going to have a cookout. Jesus says, As the king, he says, I see you. I have a mission for you. This is not a a thing to take lightly or casually. This is an honor. It's a privilege. It's a change of identity that he's calling you to. The third thing that we see in this origin story is the good news of the coming kingdom. Good news of Jesus is heavenly-minded and earthly good. Some of you grew up, this is an old phrase, but don't be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good, right? Don't don't walk around with your head in the clouds, kind of that, that phrase would indicate. But the good news of Jesus is both heavenly-minded and earthly good. It changes things in the physical and in the spiritual. This is why, as a church Last year, we spent three months at the beginning of COVID feeding folks. What else could we do, we thought? We can give people that need it food. It's why some of our church members over the years have committed to mentoring young folks. What do I have to give? Man, I have to give them knowledge and experience and love, perspective. That changes things. It's why we as a church... Together, we give money to organizations for disaster relief or to plant missions works in different countries. And why we, the church, the big C, has always been, always been, always been on the leading edge of orphan care, of education, of health care, of welcoming refugees. We are called to be both heavenly-minded and earthly good. The good news of Jesus has real world implications. That's the physical side. But where do we start? We start in the spiritual. Because when the the outworking of any good works that we do is entirely based on the power of Jesus, his transforming us, his getting us to see our lives differently. This is repentance. 
to see our experiences, our good and bad experiences, and to use them for his purposes. This is what really changes lives from the inside out. Later on in his ministry, Jesus will make this statement, what good is it if you gain the whole world and yet lose your very soul? You can have your health. You can have a good economy. You can have all this stuff. But where are you spiritually? What is your heart connected to this morning? So the question pressing on my heart as we think of these things is have you heard the summons of the king? Have you heard the invitation? Has Jesus through his Holy Spirit spoken to you? Have you had a dream or a vision? Have you had a moment when you read the Bible and it just cut you to your heart? That's the Lord speaking to you. And if you did hear that, what did he say to you, Christian? What did he say to you, church member? What has he called you to be? Where has he called you to engage in the world around you? Like the fisherman, have you heard him say that your experiences, your background, even your pain, even your doubts have a purpose? I hope you have. Jesus' call to discipleship is God calling human beings back to himself as the foundation of true and dignified human existence, what we were made to be. And the ways of Jesus are the rhythms of grace. God does not respond to our wayward rebellion with disgust, throwing his hands up in the air. Oh, well, guess I'm done. No, God pursues us in love because that is who he is. So the question is, will you respond? Will you believe? Will you respond to the summons of the king this morning? If the answer is yes, I'd ask this morning that you just stand with me. Would you stand as a response to, your call, to God's call of discipleship? And if you're not sure, that's okay. Because there is a cost. There is a laying down of your life. And a choosing to follow Jesus in his I'm going to pray for us right now. Father, I thank you for each person that is standing this morning. But I also thank you for those that have yet to respond because we know, Lord, that you have a message for them. And I pray that they would hear that loud and clear this morning. Lord, for those of us that have said yes to you, I don't know where we're at in our stock market illustration of spiritual growth right now, whether we're on a low or whether we're on a high. It doesn't matter, Father. I pray that we would continue to stay attached to you, that your Holy Spirit would continue to lead us, that your rhythms of grace in our life would be present in the valleys and on the peaks of the mountains. And Father, that this church, these people, us together, Father, we would be known not as Christians, but as disciples. Not as, as folks seeking just to live moral lives, but as one seeking to live holy lives, set apart for your purposes. And God, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your power and your presence. May you display it, Father, before our very eyes. May we see as you see. May we walk as you walk. And may we be assured, Lord, of your great love for us. 
So God, as we sing this last song, I just pray that the truth of your spirit would wash over us. That the same feeling we get when we see a work of art and we see a creation or we hear a song, that we would feel that this morning, Lord God. That we would go away from this place changed, ready to take the next step as disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.